Well, this morning, I invite you to take out your Bible with me and to turn to the 46th chapter of the book of Psalms, Psalm 46. We're going to stand and read one verse here in just a moment, Psalm 46. I invite you to find it right there in your Bible this morning. Well, we're continuing a series that we began a number of Sundays ago entitled Rhythms of Grace. We're looking at the spiritual practices of the Christian life, and we're kind of asking each other a question, uh, what are the rhythms of the life of a believer? What, 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 what are the movements, the intentional movements in our life that are to create these really healthy practices in the Christian life. Our theme verse has been 1 Timothy chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. I'm going to have it put overhead. I'd like for you to lift up your voice and say it with me. Here we go. Say it loud. Train yourself for godliness, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way, as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. Now, we've been using this verse to look at the lens of what it means to train yourself for godliness. We're, we're really kind of considering the spiritual disciplines of the Christian life. We're asking ourselves, what are the things that Christians do, all right? And so what we're thinking about here are really exercises for the Christian life that, that help create an environment for our soul's to thrive. We've been defining spiritual disciplines in this way. Spiritual disciplines are Holy Spirit-empowered activities and habits that by design God uses to grow His people in grace, to draw them closer to His Son, and to produce in them a life of spiritual transformation. So we're thinking about the things that you and I are engaged in, the things that we are doing, that notice is accomplishing those things that are, that, that are, that are the means by which God uses to grow us in grace. They are things that God uses in our life to draw us closer to his son, and that through these things, God transforms our life uh, for his glory. And so we've considered a number already. We've looked at the meditation of Scripture. We've considered prayer. Uh, last week, we looked at corporate worship. And we've, we've thought about how God uses every one of those things to, to really bring about a transforming work that can only happen by the Spirit of God. I love how Don Whitney has defined the spiritual disciplines. He said that these spiritual disciplines are the God-given means of experiencing God. Would you say that with me? They're the God-given means of experiencing God. Say it one more time. They're the God-given means of experiencing God. So when we're looking at these spiritual disciplines, we're thinking of the things that God uses in our life to really set us on a path to know Jesus better. And yet, we're going to look at this morning maybe one of the greatest threats in the Christian life to really uh, being what God would have us to be, uh, where we're going to consider that, that, that the absence of this discipline could actually wreak much havoc in the life of a Christian. And it's actually two disciplines that we brought together, and we're looking at this morning silence and solitude. Silence and solitude. Silence. Some of you aren't okay with silence. Some of you are like, please say something. Silence is all about getting quiet. And solitude 
is really about getting alone. We're looking at silence and solitude. We've opened our Bibles to Psalm 46. I'd like for you to stand as we read the first uh, verse 10, one verse this morning. The first part of verse 10. Psalm 46, verse 10. Be still and know that I am God. Now, in the context of this psalm, we're thinking about God's reign in the universe. We're thinking about God's sovereignty over the nations. We're thinking about God being God and that he is God and we are not. And in light of who he is, the Bible would call us to be still and to know that he is God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you this morning for your word. We ask that God, your spirit in this time would quicken our hearts to not only hear it and obey it, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Our lives are filled with so much noise. In fact, if you were just to pause and think about your life from this past week, how many days did you find yourself waking up in the morning and laying your head then at the night on the pillow and your whole day was bombarded with noise? We jump into a car and what do we do? Turn on the music, right? We go for a walk and we put in our headphones. We're running errands at the grocery store all the while we're on the cell phone. We're, we're doing chores around the house. We're folding our laundry and the TV is blaring in the background. The reality is, is that many of us struggle to find quiet moments. Many of us struggle to create these times of so quiet and solitude. We, we, we want to fill our lives with noise. We want to fill our lives with, with something. Our lives are so filled with noise, and then we find out that we just look at our life and we see that they're filled with so much chaos. I mean, just think about how crazy your life is. I want to ask you a question. How many of you feel like somebody has just like turned up the dial in the busyness of your life over the last couple of years? Can I see your hand? How many of you feel more busy today than you felt last year? Hold them up high. I want to see this. Look at that. Look around the room. Like this is, this is just like personal experience, right? Uh, I mean, a previous generation ago, you know, they used to talk about the concept of spare time. And some of you are like, spare time? What spare time? I don't have time at all, right? Let alone spare time. It's really crazy when you think about the difference from your great-grandparents' generation to our generation today. Our generation is so bombarded with noise and busyness and chaos and, and doing and going, and yet in their lifetime, I mean, especially if they were living out here in Catawba, you know, two generations, three generations back, I mean, the only sound they heard in a given day was the sound they were making, right? I mean, they didn't have radio and technology and TV and podcasts and TV and life was different. Life in many ways we could say was more simple. And yet we find that our lives are filled with so much noise. They're filled with so much chaos. In fact, a study I came across this past week said that Americans feel that they are busier this year than they were last year. All of us feel like we're in some sort of time crunch. We're just in this race against the clock. I came across an article by two men in 1985. They were cardiologists, uh, Friedman and Rosman, and they wrote a book entitled Type A Behavior in Your Heart. And in the book, they coined a term term that we now know as a hurry sickness. Now, hurry sickness is not an actual condition. It's not a medical condition, but it certainly is a worldwide phenomenon where people feel that they are so sick because they've been so hurried, right? 
You, you know that you have this hurried sickness if you're constantly just rushing through the task. If you find in your mind you have this constant to-do list that you're kind of checking off, you find yourself being eerie, easily irritated and, 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 and you're constantly interrupted or, or you're interrupting other people and you're over-talking other people and you, you feel like you're always kind of behind schedule. It doesn't matter. You're, you're always in this race against the clock and there's this sense of urgency that you have to get all of these things done even though there's really maybe not a lot of urgency in any of them how many of you that resonates with you and you might have some hurry sickness all right now listen our lives are filled with so much noise our lives are filled with so much chaos and yet this is our new normal like this is the normal of our generation this is our life Technology isn't going anywhere. In fact, in many ways, things have been amplified and intensified through the constant connectivity to our devices. I mean, you know, the, the funny thing is that when they wrote that book back in 1985, it was 1985. I mean, I mean, Windows 95 hadn't even come out yet, right? So, like, like think about what they're saying in 1985, and then just think about how, how technology must have amplified this hurried, busy feeling. I came across an article also as I was doing some research this week by Taylor Burgess. He writes an appeal. The title of his article was this, An Appeal for Silence and Solitude. Now listen to what he writes. He says, in 2017, all right, five years ago, Damo Incorporated, a cloud-based software company, measured how much data humans across the world generate each minute. Their findings were staggering. This is what he writes. Every minute, and this was back, remember, 2017, all right? Every minute, over 15 million texts are sent. Over 103 million emails are received, spam emails. Over 500,000 photos are shared on Snapchat, over 4 million videos viewed on YouTube, and YouTube, and Amazon makes over $250,000 every minute. And that was back in 2017. I wonder what it is today. Now, I want you to just think about something. Our lives, and that's just Americans. Our lives are so connected. We feel so uh, built in to the way of our society in terms of technology. And here's, the, here's what I certainly don't want you to hear this morning. It's not that I'm anti-technology, because if you know me, I'm quite a techie guy. I, I, I certainly do love uh, technology. I love the conveniences of modern technology. I dare say you're thankful for modern conveniences of technology. How many of you are thankful for some air conditioning, all right? How, how many of you are thankful you can FaceTime your grandkids a world away, you know? Like, we're all thankful for technology. Technology isn't going anywhere. This is part of our life, and we're thankful for it, aren't we? I mean, really, when we think about the gospel and, and just the biblical resources that you and I have access today because of technology, we think about the way that the gospel is going into other places around the world, advancing the gospel in some least-reached places because of technology. So, so technology is not bad, but here is the reality of our lives. You and I are living in an era where, where, where our connectivity to things, our busyness, the noise that we are inundating our souls with is just just a world away from what our great-grandparents experienced less than 100 years ago. Like, like, we're not even in the same ball field. Like, not even the same ballpark. I mean, we're, we're just in a completely different situation. 
And I want you to think about it because silence and solitude is, is, is certainly a necessity for, for a human being. We, we're going to find this morning as we look at some biblical text, we're going to consider the life of Jesus Christ. And we're going to find that Jesus had moments of silence and solitude routinely built into his life. But I want to ask you the question, how much more needful is it in our generation today? How much more needful is it us for us today who find ourselves in this very busy, noisy life? We need to get alone. We need to get quiet more than ever before. And I want you to think about, too, just the way that generations change and the changes in a generation. You know, so like your great-grandparents' generation lacked so much in terms of what we would think in terms of resources and technology and, and Bible resources. And yet today, the whole thing's been flipped on its head. You and I have far more Bible resources than we could probably ever explore in a lifetime, but we're so much more inundated with the noise and the busyness and the feeling of urgency for the next thing that if we're not careful, we'll miss out on what God wants us to experience. So this morning, I want us to look at this practice of silence and solitude. In many ways, this is the counterpart to what we were looking at last week as we were talking about corporate worship. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, in his book, Life Together, he says, notice, one who seeks solitude without fellowship perishes in the abyss of vanity, self-infatuation, and despair. You and I were made for community. So also, don't hear me say that, that this is just licensed to go live church by yourself for the whole year, all right? Because that's certainly not what the Scriptures is calling us to. The Scriptures is calling us to a life of being interdependent and connected with one another. And so, yes, we are made for community, but we also find that, that our souls were created for, for moments of silence and Solitude. Just consider the life of Jesus. Jesus so frequently in the Gospels is withdrawing himself to quiet, desolate places. These desolate places that the Scripture talks about are, are, are places of just quietness. Sometimes they were on the Judean wilderness. They were places completely uninhabitable. They were, just, they were places that were so quiet that, that, that even in Jesus' day, which is a first century agrarian culture, I mean, you think how busy, how chaos could it have been, I mean, compared to today, and yet, yet even in Jesus' day, he's, he's going into these desolate, solitary places. If you, if you do a study of the life of Christ, what you'll discover is that Jesus often routinely goes into these desolate, quiet places. He withdraws from the busyness and the noise of life, and he enters into these quiet places of solitude moments of rest. And in those moments, what do we find Jesus doing? We find him preparing for a major task. We find him praying about upcoming decisions. We, we find Jesus spending time communing with his father. We find Jesus recharging his energy, as it were, from being so exhausted from the ministry and things and the busyness and the pace of life. We, we, we find Jesus moving into these moments to process grief and I want you to think about, here's Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ who, who loved God perfectly, who loved others perfectly. I mean, you think about the life of Christ. He is our example of what it means to truly love God and love others. And what do we discover about the rhythm of his life? We discover that he is withdrawing in moments to solitude 
and to silence. And so if you and I are going to be followers of Christ, then, then it really moves us to imitate him. It's, it moves us to, to follow in his footsteps, to do what Jesus has done. And I want you just to think about some moments here in the life of Christ where we see him doing that. So I have four verses this morning, but I want you to turn to them in your own Bible. So if you're on this side of the congregation, this little wing right here, I want you to turn to Matthew chapter 4, verse 1. Matthew 4, verse 1. Everybody on this little side, all right? All you over on that far wing. Mark 135. Mark 135. Everyone right here in the big center. You guys are Luke 442. Luke 442. And everybody in the amen corner, you know who you are. All right. You're Matthew 14. Matthew 14, 23. Scriptures won't be overhead. I want you to find them in your own Bible and share along someone who is with you. Matthew 4.1, Mark 1.35, Luke 4.42, and Matthew 14.23. Notice Matthew 4.1, the Bible says that Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. Now, many of us are surprised to find what happens in the life of Jesus is actually true in our life, and that is in moments where we withdraw for the explicit purpose to get alone with God, to spend time with God, that in those moments of quietness, we're confronted by Satan, we're confronted by the devil. Some of us know that to be true. We pull ourselves away from a, from a busy season for the sole purpose of spending time with the Lord, and how many of you know what it's like just a few minutes into your solitude, it's just like all of these fears and anxieties and temptations just come flooding in. How many of you can resonate with that, right? Mark chapter 1, verse 35. Notice what we find in the life of Christ. And rising very early in the morning, while it was still dark, he, what, departed and went out to a desolate place, and there he prayed. Now, if you were following the life of Jesus Christ up through chapter 1, of the Gospel of Mark, you'll understand that ministry had just been a constant, busy season. Jesus was healing people. Jesus was casting out demons. Jesus was teaching in the synagogue. Jesus was constantly busy in ministry. And what does he do? He takes a pause. He takes a reprieve. He goes into a desolate place, and there he prays. Luke chapter 4, verse 42, notice, and when it was day, notice your Bible, he departed and went to a desolate place. And the people sought him and came to him and would have kept him from leaving them. Do you see what's happening here? Jesus goes to the desolate place and people are chasing after him. I mean, it's interesting to me. Jesus just wants some quietness. And it doesn't matter where he's at in the region of Judea or in Galilee. Like he's constantly moving away from people, right? Like Jesus gets into a boat and people go all the way around the city and, and meet him on the other side. It's just like he's constantly being pressed in among people. And what do we find? Jesus Jesus certainly had moments for ministry. Jesus certainly had moments for people. Jesus certainly had points of where he could connect. And yet, what does he do? He withdraws to a desolate place, to a place of solitude, a place of quiet. Matthew 14 in the back, verse 23. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. So what do we, do we discover? We find in, in moments where Jesus had just fed the 5,000. He had been busy in ministry. He had been busy all day teaching. He had poured himself out into the lives of others. What did he do? He, he dismissed them and he goes up on the mountain by himself to pray. Here's the thing. Jesus valued time 
away. Turn to your neighbor and tell him, Jesus valued time away. Hey, Jesus valued time away. He, he valued pulling himself away, even when the demands of people were pressing in around him. A.W. Tozer said it this way, if a man wants to be used by God, he cannot spend all his time with people. If a man wants to be used by God, he cannot spend all his time with people. Now, that's what Tozer said. Now, I want you to think about that because certainly that's true here in the life of Christ. We see Jesus had so many opportunities for ministry, and I find it interesting that even when there's need, even when there's opportunity, even when there's uh, opportunity to preach the kingdom of God, teach the kingdom of God, yet we find Jesus in his life building these rhythms where he goes into these desolate places in moments of quiet and solitude to spend time with his father. Here's the thing. The question really for each one of us is, how, how much is that a part of our life? How, how often do we find ourselves withdrawing, retreating into moments of silence and solitude? I mean, really, when was the last time you had 20 minutes of uninterrupted, no noise, no people, it was just you and God. When was the last time? The question is, do you and I see the value in that? We'll never put the place on our schedule. We'll never prioritize the time away. We'll never take those moments if we don't see the value in what we're doing. And here, notice, why is Jesus getting away? Why is Jesus going into these places of solitude and silence? Someone tell me. Why was he doing it? Say it louder. What? To spend time with his father. I mean, Jesus is going to commune with his father. He's going to pray to his father. He's going to meet with God. He's going into these moments of silence and solitude to be alone with God. And certainly, that's true for us today. If we're going to take moments in our life of silence and solitude, we do so with the understanding we're going to pursue time with God. This is not... This is not withdrawing in isolation to be walled off from everything else. This is, this is pulling ourselves away in quiet so that we're engaging and spending time with our Father in heaven. This is not, this is not me time, okay? Like, that's our mentality of, of quietness is that, like, hey, I need to go take some me time. This is not me time. This is, this is not you to just dwell on your own thoughts, these moments of silence and solitude are, are to be spent with God. You know, when people talk about their quiet, when people talk about spending time with God, we use that phrase, hey, I had my, what? My quiet time, right? Quiet time. They're, they're talking about being silent. Or sometimes people say, hey, did you spend time with God today? What are they talking about? They're talking about those moments of solitude. Have you gotten away? Why do we do that? To spend time with the Lord? to hear his voice, to recharge our souls, to revive and renew our heart. Jesus did this. Jesus is constantly pulling away. The psalmist says, be still and know that I am God. Ecclesiastes chapter 5 says, to draw near to listen is better than to offer sacrifice of fools. Be not rash with your mouth, nor let your heart be hasty. To utter a word before God. For God is in heaven and you are on earth. 
Therefore, let your words be few. Psalm 62 verse 5 says, For God alone my soul wait in silence. My hope is from Him. So here's my question to you this morning. Is silence and solitude built into the rhythm of your life? Do you have that? Do you have moments where you're withdrawing away from noise and the busyness and the chaos of the world to go engage and spend time and be alone with your father? It should happen in our life every day. There should be moments, time, every part of our day that's devoted to these moments with God. There should be time in every season where maybe we're taking an extended day or, or, or time with the Lord. I remember Doc Mason years ago when I first came to Catawba, he would challenge me with this. He would say, Aaron, he says, why don't you take a day with the Lord? Why, why, why don't you take a day with the Lord? And I, I had never done that before. And I, I remember taking and making a practice and putting into rhythm part of my just schedule. Just to, and sometimes there are moments where I wasn't planning on it, but I know I need to. And I'll just clear everything. And I'll take a, take a day with the Lord. And you go up somewhere and go on a hike. And, and you take your Bible. And you just spend time reading and journaling and praying and maybe singing and and listening to a message or something that's just going to fill your soul. And, and, and I noticed that there were moments and I watched in his life that he would take time with God. Call him in the mornings, where would he be? He'd be on his back porch patio just spending time with the Lord, praying. Quiet moments, time with him and God. Days pulled away. And I remember his example to me. And, 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 now, and now I've instilled that and encouraged that for our staff. I, our, our, here at our church, uh, at least at once a quarter, I, I encourage those who are on our church staff to, to take part of a day as a soul care day. And, and to go into in these moments of quiet. Part of, part of staff. Okay, here's the thing. How, how can you minister to other people? How, how can you serve other people? How can you love other people well if, if it's not out of an overflow of what God's doing in your life? And so uh, you could talk to Paige. You could talk to Dylan. You could talk to Stephen. You could talk to them and say, hey, what did, what did God do in those moments of, of these soul care moments? Here's the thing. You don't have to be on Catawba Valley Church staff to take a soul care day. Some of you need to take a soul care day this month. Some, some of you need to find a day in the month of August and just clear part of the day, part of the morning. To do what? To, to, to spend time with the Lord. You say, what does it look like? Three things. First thing is, find a quiet place. How many of you know your quiet place? Can I see your hand? How many of you know it? Wow, that means a lot of us don't have a quiet place. How, you need to find one. There's a whole bunch of them right out here. Just look out the windows. There's a whole bunch of them. Hey, do you know that no one is hardly here at the church Monday through Friday? Did you know that? This might be a quiet place for you. This sanctuary, the chapel, those might be some quiet places. Find a quiet place. Find a place in your life, in your home, where, where, where it is a place that you go just to be with God. I got some. I got some in my house. I got some at a park. I got some on a trail. I, there's, there's places. Do you have places? Here's the thing. If, if we don't have places, then where are we going to find it? Because our lives are so pressed in, especially those of you at home and you got multiple kids and you got multiple jobs and people that got multiple things and, and, you got, and your life is just running, 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 hurried, hurried, hurried. But if you're not pulling away from that, if you're not finding those moments of private retreat 
to spend time with God, then, then you're missing something about the Christian life. You're, 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 you're going to find yourself so quickly defeated. Find a quiet place. And then secondly, remove all distractions. Just remove them all. Do you know what the biggest distraction you and I have? Hold it up. Who has the biggest distraction? There it is. Hold it real high, Sydney. What is it? Your cell phone. How many of you, your cell phone's quite a distraction? Some of us don't want to look at the time that our apps are logging for us of how much time we spend on a week because we'd be solely embarrassed. Wait, you spent five hours on Facebook today? What? Is that true? (laughs) You know, you're like, no, it can't be real. It must be running in the background when I'm not looking at it. No, it's, that's true. Find a quiet place, remove distractions, turn it off. Take a paper Bible with you. And just spend time with God. Turn your neighbor and just tell them to turn off their device. Just turn it off. Remove the distraction, turn it off. Because here, how many of you know it's to be true? How, how many of you, you mean well, your soul means well, you're intending well, you go into that quiet place and then you grab something and you're just like ADD and before you know it, you're like, oh, I need to write that down to pray about it. And then you write it down and you're like, oh, but I see this. And you move from there to this. And then before long, like you're fully disengulfed in some other activity and you're like, wait, wait, wait a minute, what am I doing? I'm supposed to be here for a different purpose. So get alone Find a quiet place. Secondly, eliminate distractions. No phones, no tablets, no computers. Pull yourself away. And then finally, notice what do we do? We fill our mind. We don't empty it. We fill it. We fill our mind with truth. We meditate on Scripture. Philippians 4.8, finally, brothers, whatever is true, honorable, just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there's any excellence, if there's any praiseworthy thing, think on these things. You see, we fill our mind with truth. We don't, we don't empty our mind. Some of, us, some of us, we find ourselves so open to the attack of the enemy because what happens is we get in these quiet moments and, and what we should be doing is filling our mind with truth. We should be meditating on truth. We should be praying to the Lord and, 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 and taking these things that are bubbling up in our soul and, and confessing them to the Lord. But if you find yourself in these quiet moments and in that quietness, here's, here's the thing. Some of us don't do quiet. I know this. And so when we don't do quiet, we get in these quiet moments, and for the first time, your soul's able to talk to you a little bit. And start out of your soul starts bubbling up all this stuff. Anger and bitterness and jealousy. Fear. Because you're finally being able to process in your soul to take captive some of those thoughts in Jesus Christ, to, 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 to extend forgiveness, to, to ask God for freedom. Notice those things in our life, those, those things can be things to work through. Those, those things can be, could, could be moments of growth in our Christian journey, but, 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 but you've got to have the quiet moment to, to allow that stuff to come up. You know, some of us are processing grief. I know that in this room. 
And, 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 and you know what? Some of us, we don't take quiet moments. We don't take moments just to allow those emotions, those feelings to, to well up in our heart. And, and what do we do, do with it? We're to, we're, we're, to, we're to turn those things into prayer requests. We're to, we're, 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 we're to, we're to release those things. Those things all become invitations to pray. The Bible says we look not at the things that are seen, but at the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient, but the things that are unseen are eternal. And so, so hey, in those quiet moments with God, you're allowing your mind to be filled with truth. Secondly, it's a moment to ask God questions. Anybody have some questions from God? Any have some questions you'd like answered? Well, why don't you go away on a quiet moment and ask him? God's not afraid of your questions. Some of us have been told that. Like some of us have grown up in church and we're like, you can't ask God anything. No, God, God, God tells us in the scriptures to have mercy on those who doubt. Like, so, so certainly we find in the heart of God somebody who, who is tenderhearted, someone who is compassionate, somebody who, who leans in in moments. So here's the thing. You've got some questions. You're wrestling through some things. Get in a moment of quiet retreat and ask God some questions. Maybe thirdly, maybe you'll journal. You know, you know, journal is, is, you know, some people, they just like value their journals, you know, like some people think everybody one day is going to read their journal, all right? Nobody's going to read your journal. It's just for you, all right? But here's the thing. That journal is you outwardly processing the things that God is speaking to you about. It's a way to really practice this silence and solitude. You know, we all should have a heart of a posture like that of Samuel when we get into these quiet desolate moments and we say speak lord for your servant hears speak lord now i've never heard an audible voice from god but i could take you to many moments in many places that i felt very impressed by the spirit of god to do something how many of you would raise your hand in testament to that so you hear his voice you hear his voice through his word. God, God uses his spirit through your word to impress on your heart, to convict your heart, to, 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 to challenge you, to, to do what he's calling you to do, to take a step of obedience in whatever he's, he's, he's calling you to. But you've got to have those quiet moments, those quiet moments where we get alone, where we process without distractions the, the noise in our soul, and we allow, we meditate on Scripture, we, we ask God questions, we pray and commune with God, and we, we, we trust the Spirit of God's leading in our life. And in and, and, and all of those things, we find ourselves recharged and renewed. It's like, it's like what you see sitting up here. Uh, um, you see this, this jar of water Ruth Haley Barton, she wrote a book entitled An Invitation to Solitude and Silence. And in her book, she uses this illustration of a mason jar that has been filled with some sediment of dirt and then some water. I want you to watch what happens. What happens, what would happen if I start to shake this thing up? What happens? Didn't get it, did it? Look how bad that is. Look how bad that is. And some of us, our lives are like this jar. Like we're constantly spun up. We're constantly anxiety God's in our grip. We're, we're constantly overwhelmed by emotion. We're constantly processing things. And, and life is just, life is doing this to our mason jar, right? And it's not quitting. And it's just like constant. But there's something about moments of quietness where we, where we pull away and we, 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 we get quiet and we're still. 
And what happens? All the, the muss, muck, and the, the dirt, and the chaos of everything, and the stuff that's just welling up in our heart just begins to settle. Like, like right there. Like, and if we were to wait here, and if we were to linger long enough, what you'd find is, is all that dirt would, would make its way down to the bottom. And our souls would be quieted, and our, our souls would be at rest. And, and here's the thing. We need that in the Christian life because some of, us, some of us feel so confused. Some of us feel like just such a blur. We just like, we, we, we look at our life, and we're looking at our life, and we just, we can't make sense of anything. Well, it's because everything's so spun up. Everything's so noisy. Your soul's been bombarded with all kinds of noise. Why don't you just get still? And quiet, why don't you practice silence and solitude and allow God to, to grow you, to revive your soul, to quicken, as the psalmist says, Lord, quicken me, quicken my soul, give me life. Ask God to, to bring clarity into your life and, and give you wisdom in, in upcoming choices and decisions and and, and you're going through some real battles right now and you, you need to trust the Lord in them or you're really, you're really anxious and you're finding yourself just overwhelmed by fear. Why don't you trust God in that? So find moments of quiet. Here's the thing. Here's the thing. Everybody look right up here and I'll be done. I can't do this for you. But oh, I want to do it for you. You know, when the church provided sabbatical for our pastoral staff last year, I was just shaken with the need for that. And not as like a once every year kind of thing, but how much more of a natural rhythm in our life, how much more every part of our life and daily rhythm. And I remember you asked my wife, I came back from sabbatical, I said, I wish every member in our church could do that. But you know, as I kind of process it and really think about it, we can. In fact, God's ordained it that way. He's given us a day of the week that he calls what? Say it louder. The Sabbath. We have a day of rest. God's, God's ordained our life to, to have six days of busyness, six days of work, but a, but a full day, a full day. Turn to your neighbor and tell him a full day of rest. Look right up here. When was the last time you took a real Sabbath? When was the last time you took a full day of real rest? And a major part of that day was in silence and solitude. Here's the thing. It's an invitation, that, an invitation that God gives to every one of us. The question is, will we embrace it? Will we value it? Will we take it? And here's what I, here's what I want to tell you. Your soul will thrive because of it. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you for your word, for the hope, for your kindness and compassion. You say that you remember our frame. You know that we're but dust. And because of that, Lord, you've ordained and instituted rhythm into our life. You've given us seasons. You've, Lord, you've given us weeks and days and nights of rest. You know that we need rest. So Lord, I pray for every person here this morning that they would carve out times of silence and solitude, Lord, to be with you. We pray that, Lord, through these moments, you would deepen our faith. You would increase our joy.
And Lord, we would just grow in our love for you and other people. And so we know that you can do this by your spirit. We ask it in Jesus' name. Everyone said, amen. You can stand to your feet this morning. Jessica's going to play, and as she plays this morning, it's just an opportunity for you to have a moment of private, personal response. You know, I don't know how God has spoken to you this morning. I, I, I don't know what passage, what, what scripture, what word the Spirit of God used to, to speak to your heart this morning. But here's what I know. I, I believe every time God's word is open and every time God's word is taught and every time we hear God's word, we're hearing his voice. And so what is your response to the word of God this morning? What's your response to what he's doing in your life? I wonder, what is the invitation that he's extended to you? And, but you know you have to follow through. You, you, there, there's a response of you now. Like God, God will be faithful to do what he's promised to do, but, but it requires your obedience to him. And, and that in conjunction of those two things, God uses those things to grow us, to change us. So it's right now, right there in your seat. Or if you want to come up front, you're welcome to do that. But I invite you right now, just bow your head before the Lord. Take a moment of silence to respond to the Lord and what he's shown you from his word this morning. Father, thank you so much for your goodness to us. Thank you so much for your desire to meet with us. You say in your word that if we draw near to you, that you'll draw near to us. I pray that promise will be a reality for many in our church this week. We ask it in Jesus' mighty name. Everyone said, amen.